I don't know, man. What do you think this is? Like, I should think, I should I have that looked at? I, I I don't really know. I mean, like, I maybe I don't think it's supposed to be that it's not color. Fun. It doesn't look good. No, I mean, hey, hey, welcome to the comic obsessive. Everybody. Oh, we we were recording. That is so embarrassing. Oh, well, uh, welcome to the comic obsessive, everybody. Uh, I'm Adam Piles. And I'm Jason DeHart. And we are here today to discuss Batman issue number 423 from September of 1988. Um, Jason. What's your experience with Batman? What got you into Batman? Batman and I go way, way back. I mean, we we basically went to grade school together. Yeah. It's basically the story. I mean, back in the day, Batman was the first book that I read. I told I, I told this story on the first episode of our podcast here. And, you know, the, all the sad details of getting sick as a kid, reading comics in the hospital and all of that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, Batman and Batman was that book actually not that far off from this issue. It was, uh, I think it was August 1988, an annual of Batman. That was the first one that I ever read. And so Batman was there. The movie came out with Michael Keaton. The new movie, the Flash movie that was bringing Michael Keaton back might be in trouble. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it was right there. And so... And I kind of got hooked on it from the media, the toys, the Happy Meals, all of the things. You say August of 88, but you weren't, did you like buy that in August of 88 or was it like kind of a back issue for you? I, I kind of doubt it. It was a few months after that that I probably got sick because it would have been around like October, I okay. want to say. Um, so it was around out somewhere but I remember it was in a stack that my parents brought me while I was in the hospital. So it, it oh. was it was there. You were pretty young because I'm like 25 years older than you, right? I, I know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. I, I'm 12, actually. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I was pretty young. I was about seven years old at the time. And uh, yeah, that was my first intro into comics was sort of this blue he's not the full-on campy adam west batman from the 60s you know but the the blue costume before tim burton really did the black rubber that joe right. schumacher then just took up a notch um so yeah it, it was all right there in in my youth very cool um so even though you're the dc guy and i'm the marvel guy yet somehow we make it work um, this was my recommendation um, because this was one of the ones that I got from Walden Books in the Books Hall back in 1988. Um, so I guess I was about 10. My parents would go to Walden and I would always walk up to my parents kind of timidly and shyly and say, I mean, I, I, mean, I saw this one on the stands. I mean, it looks pretty cool. Trying to hint around that I wanted it. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, without trying to just directly ask for it, you know, which is it's kind of funny now because I have I have my own kids and um especially my young one, he'll kind of do the same thing. He's like, I mean, I saw this. I mean, it looks cool. But you know, he doesn't want to just straight out ask for it. But this is one of those issues. Um, I was let's see if the cover date September. I guess it always comes out a few months before that so they can kind of live longer. 
on the stands. So I guess I was maybe nine when this one came out. I didn't know that I was picking up what has become such an iconic cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, it's done by Todd McFarlane. Who is that Um, again? Todd who? yeah, yeah. He's, he's a bit of <laughs> a, bit of a guy. he's And a big deal. he's a big deal. He, um, this was his DC work before he went on, uh, to Marvel to, let's see, I guess with Marvel, he, um, he started with the Incredible Hulk and he did another iconic cover where Wolverine has his claws, uh, out and you see the Hulk's reflection in it. And so that has become an iconic cover of his. And it's worth so much money just because of that cover, just kind of like this Batman is. But he went on to do Hulk, and then he went on to do Amazing Spider-Man. introduced the character Venom. Um, he, he ran with Amazing Spider-Man for a couple of years. And then he was such a big deal that he um, got to start his own Spider-Man title. Uh, the adjectiveless Spider-Man, uh, which gives us another iconic cover that has been spiked a ton of times. Spider-Man's kind of crouched on that cover. Um, he swapped it himself. He did the number one number one cover with Spidey in the traditional red and orange suit, and then I think it's twelve, eleven maybe, where he's doing the exact same pose, but now he's in his black costume because of the storyline. Uh, what are your thoughts on Todd McFarlane? I, I enjoy his stuff. I mean, he he's another one in the 90s I remember reading. I remember Spawn was one of those characters that I sort of saw out. One of the first major pushes was Spawn and Image Comics in the 90s at Walmart in the small town I grew up in. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I appreciate his work. You could totally see the details in the cape here. I mean, that is that is a Todd McFarlane cape if you look at the cover of issue 423 like the cape goes on and on the the other thing i really appreciate appreciate about him is the way that he's continued to support comics in these kind of interesting ways if anybody out there is an action figure collector hunter then todd mcfarlane is yeah, also really known in that area of comics because he does really really good highly detailed action figures too which is something that i appreciate and i know nothing next to nothing about baseball but i remember when the mark mcguire sammy sosa home run showdown was happening he he was all into that too another can i do i have time for one more one Yeah, more just todd McFarlane thing do it, man. I could talk about him for a long time. yeah yeah So the other, other, other thing that I remember about Todd McFarlane is he had these VHS tapes and I, I come from the days of VHS and all of that and rewinding and watching things through the snow, not the snow out, you know, the snow on the screen. And he came out with these like how to draw in the comics videos. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh my gosh, I would love to do this. At some point, I learned the paintbrush trick that inkers use for like making a starry night from that video. So good memories of Todd McFarlane for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Spawn. I, I was there for Spawn number one. Um, you know, just, and there's this uh, splash page. Actually, it's a double page 
splash page uh, that goes sideways. Uh, and it's, I always felt like it was Todd McFarlane flexing. It is like his introduction or our introduction to this long character where he is on this rooftop and the cape is swirling around him and the chains are there. And it's just this beautiful piece of comic art. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would say about McFarlane is that when I first saw his stuff, I got a copy of Spider-Man for my birthday, Amazing Spider-Man, um, where it's Spider-Man having a showdown with the Taskmaster and Mary Jane's being kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I opened it up, I was like, what is this? Like, it didn't look like the Spider-Man that I knew. And that's kind of what he did. He changed uh, Spider-Man's look from the John Romita Sr., uh, version of Spider-Man that had been around since the 60s. I mean, that's that's just the way he looked. That's the way he have looked. Uh, it's that original, well, I mean, Steve Ditko did it originally, but then once John Romita took over, it seems like everybody just kind of copied his Spider-Man. Right. Um, but Todd McFarlane really did something different with it, with spaghetti webbing and big eyes, and they, I, I just thought it was amazing. Um, no pun intended there. And then I was I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. And there's another splash page where Spotty's swinging in that uh, adjectiveless Spider-Man issue. Um, and it's again, it's just beautiful art. But that's enough, uh, you know, bragging on Todd McFarlane. Our writer is not somebody I would normally associate with Batman as much. It's True, Jim Starlin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what do you know about Jim Starlin? Well, I uh, you know once more I don't know the Marvel history that you do, but I know this is the guy that created co-created Thanos, several of the Guardians in the Galaxy. He worked on Adam Warlock. I mean he's he's been part of that storyline, and actually in the film Endgame he has that small part in the support group. He he has that cameo appearance, so I know that he's. Big Marvel. Um, he's worked in those areas, and then he he actually is associated with you know one or two things that are DC related and Batman related. But again, as you said, it's not the first go to for him. He has the Death and Family story arc. Uh, not right. not one for the kids. No, 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 that's right. I forgot. I forgot. So I guess he was doing like a run on Batman because. Uh, Death in the Family would have been, is it right after this? Yeah, yeah. This was was leading up to that time period. And then I think those were some of his last issues, the Death in the Family. Um, and the other thing that he did that was Batman was Batman the Cult, which was like a four-issue miniseries. It, it had the, the gritty-grittiness, for sure. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah um, you're right. I, I would associate him with the cosmic, you know. Absolutely. Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, all that stuff. He I think he wrote the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then he also co-created uh I'm not sure how to say this now. I used to just say Shang Chi, but I don't think that's right. Uh is Shang Chi, is that correct? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He co-created him. Um but yeah, it, it always surprises me when I look back at this issue every few years. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, Jim Starlin wrote this. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Can you give us a rundown of what of what this uh, issue was about? Yeah, and we'll give a quick shout out as well to Dave Cockrum, the penciler, 
uh, Mike DiCarlo, the inker, John Costanza, the letterer, Adrian Roy, the colorist, and then someone named Denny O'Neill, the mm -hmm. editor, who uh, was a name that was often on the front page of my comics growing up, for sure. Denny O'Neill, Scott Peterson, some of those editors that um, oversaw these stories. But, you know, this is called You Should Have Seen Him. And when you first mentioned it to me as being one of your favorite issues, I actually had not read this, even though I'm a Batman fan. And it's a it's a frame. It's a frame narrative, which means uh, you could put a picture around it. Absolutely. It's sort of this exploration of who Batman is, is as a character through these three different stories. To, so to make that really fast, the first story of you should have seen him. Batman is swooping in to save someone who is attempting to take his life because of drugs. We mentioned drugs last time in the Comics Code Authority. Here it is. Batman saving the day and saying to this person, like, hey, stay off the drugs and, and do good things. I'm paraphrasing. The second part of the story is probably the part of Batman that we see the most, I would say. Yeah. Uh, when I think about the more recent things that Batman authors have done and really the overarching kind of storylines, you know, this is Batman, the guy that's going to come in, intimidate you, scare you. It works in comics, even though he's dressed like a giant bat. It works, and it's kind of like Batman the Enforcer. And we see that quite a bit, along with like Batman the Tech Guru. I feel like that's another kind of story take. And then finally, uh, the frame narrative ends with uh, these police officers talking. They're telling the stories. Another police officer comes in and says, no, no, no. Let me tell you who Batman is and what Batman is like. And this is the emotional story of Batman crying and kind of following up on these two kids that are homeless. They've fallen on hard times. Uh, bad things have happened in their lives. And so Batman's like, I know a guy named Bruce that might be able to help you out. And the cops are, are kind of like, no, 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 Batman crying. Are you kidding me? Uh, this is not a Hallmark movie. What are we doing here? And so we find out at the end that that actually did happen in the storyline because the last part of it is taking place at Wayne Manor and Alfred and Bruce are talking and the kids are asleep in one of the 92 bedrooms in the manor. So that's kind of the quick, quick, quick rundown of a very beautiful issue. Really wonderfully done. And there's no key villain. It's not one of those things where you have the Joker walking up or one of those other iconic villains. It's just kind of a story where, you know, in the, the 80s comic style, the bad guys kind of look like backup dancers on a, a Fox TV show from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're right. We, you know, we talk so much about Todd McFarlane, but he just did the cover. Mm -hmm. uh, the other, the you know, the interior artist, that Dave Cockrum, he is... Um, you know, well known for the X Men, right? He um, he's the one that drew the giant size X Men, and then he drew a few, more than a few issues of um, the Uncanny X Men before it was called the Uncanny X Men. It was just X Men, and so he brought that giant size team to life with you know Colossus and, and Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Storm, the the international team. You know, uh, he's the artist on that, and then he left for a while, and John Byrne took over, uh, and then after, 
what was it, about 144, maybe. Dave Cockrum came back to X-Men and did a run. But, you know, like I know mainly Dave Cockrum through his X-Men stuff, but when I flipped through this, I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, that's Dave Cockrum's art. You know, to me, it doesn't look like Dave Cockrum as much. Um, I know he's being inked here by Mike DiCarlo, and that inker can make all the difference in the world. But yeah, uh, it's like you say, though, it's a it's a great looking issue. Um, I'll talk specifically about page 14 here in a minute. But um, um, what were your initial thoughts about this issue? Well, I also love page 14. That's one of the ones that I was going to to point out as well. But I mean, we were talking a little bit before the show and talking about the take on the character. And there's actually, there's this book called Making Comics by Linda Berry. And uh, it's it's all about like bringing your art, bringing your style, bringing your take. And one of the activities that she talks about in that book is having students draw their version of Batman. And you oh. know, everybody in the class kind of draws who Batman is to you. That's what it kind of made me think of, of like this character that, there are all of these takes on, there are all of these thoughts about, you know, it's been around for decades and we kind of get not every take presented here, but you know, you, you get a good kind of rounded view of who Batman might be to you. And that, that, I think that's one of the things that drew me to the character so much is that there's this heart there, you know, there's the background story with him being an orphan, which is not stated in this, but you kind of get that sensibility at the end that that's part of the the grounding of the character. You know, that's part of why he not only goes and beats up on the bad guys and is that second type, the enforcer, but is also the person that's going to, you know, take time out of his busy night of swinging around to make sure that he sees after these two kids that, you know, it would be easier to look over. And that's, I think that idea of being a hero was just kind of bound up in this character for me. Like, how do you make the world tier a better place? Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I love the setup. I love that it's kind of uh, told from someone else's perspective instead of Batman's. You yeah, know, it's like you say, it's told by the, the three cops and they each give their own version of uh, this pre, you know, their, their interaction with Batman, and I, I just think it's such a good setup to explore this character. Like you say, that's timeless and that's um, had so many different incarnations. And I also have to say that this this Batman suit, uh, this is my Batman suit. Like, Definitely, I love the gray. I love the blue and the the oval on the chest with the the yellow background. I, I just love that uh, version of Batman. Um, I was looking at this first story and, um, you know, uh, I've said this to you before when we were talking about it, but I remember reading this and, you know, it was maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit heavy for a nine-year-old to read. Right. Because right. This guy's considering suicide here in the beginning. And uh, when he says, I got a Jones, I can't shake. Job, no future. I remember asking my mom, what's a Jones? She's like, What are you talking about? And I told her the context and she explained what it meant. And it's like, 
what are you reading? Like, you know, it was, it was a little bit odd because I don't know, you know, comics for so long had such a reputation as being for kids. Mm -hmm. uh, really, you know, some pretty deep uh, subject matter was explored in, in some of these comics. Um, and I don't know, I think it would surprise some people to look back at these comics that were even being made in the 70s and 80s that were, it, it wasn't just a bad guy of the week. It wasn't just um, go, go beat up the bad guy. It was um, some social commentary, some, some philosophy. I don't know. Uh, I just think it's kind of interesting to think about that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, when you first told me about this issue, we were driving on our way back from a convention, actually. And the first story that it made me think of was Almost Got It, which is one of the Batman animated series episodes. So I did a little homework on the Google, the very, very fancy Google. And I looked up, like, did this story inspire that story? Because it has that same thing, a frame narrative, multiple takes on the character. That was actually a four-part comic story from September to December 1977. So issues 291 through 294, David Vern Reed and John Cownan, uh, the, those were called Where Were You on the Night Batman Was Killed? So they, they kind of have that similar take, similar sensibility. But that's another thing about a long-standing character like this. Or I mean, you mentioned the X-Men, uh, several of these long-standing characters that have been around for decades they survive on some of those stories that come back like Batman will always fight the Joker. There will always be those kind of stories, but there are also stories like this that kind of take the character in some interesting directions and, and kind of make the rest of it possible. I think. Yeah. That's, that's a great observation. I like that. Um, I was looking here in, in my, <laughs> I really wish that I had uh, had a little bit of foresight about this because this issue is just beat out of heck. It's <laughs> like, you know, it's yellow from age and it's got all these creases and crinkles in it. It was well loved. So, I, you know, but I was at a recently and I saw it going for like, and this was too high, but it was going for like 600 bucks. Whew. Especially this, this would have been like a newsstand copy, which apparently is more rare. So it would be, you know, if I kept it in pristine condition, it would be worth some money. But, you know, I was a kid, I did. But I was looking at this, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. And um, I was- It's that thing we were looking at at the beginning. You really need to get yeah. that looked at. <laughs> um, so on page seven, um, this is, I guess, in the, yeah, this is the second story and um, the second account. When these- uh, these guys have taken over uh, this, this like a grocery store. And I just think it's interesting that on page seven, the fourth panel, it says they claim that if their demands weren't met by four o'clock, they'd kill a hostage. And then there's no words. And you just see, mm -hmm. you know, checking the watch, the old lady who looks suspiciously like Aunt May um, in front of, you know, the gunman with the, Gun pointed straight at her face, and then the next page, page eight, is what uh, three, like fifteen panels mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of all these different perspectives, like the the people just looking at 
each other and like, you know, the civilians, their faces are like horrified. The, the crooks there, their faces are of course mean. You see the cops outside tents, but then page eight, that last panel. Yep. You yep. see that man's eye and you're like, oh man, it's getting ready to go down. Yeah. And, it, and, and still when you flip the page, there's no, there's no words. There's no sound effects. There, there's no dialogue, nothing like that. It's just Batman, you know, cutting him down. Like just uh, he's breaking that one guy's arm, and then um, I will admit, you know, the nine to ten year old me loved that on page ten. How how tough he was, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and I swear that if you harm that woman at all, I'll make you pay. I'll break and twist things within you. You can't conceive of the pain I can cause. Pain that will go on forever. You won't escape it because I won't let you die. And then he runs, and then you see him like, you know, the, the crook getting like thrown through the window. Um, I mean, that made such a huge impression on me as a kid. Absolutely, yeah. just how tough Batman was, and that's what it's supposed to do. You know, that that's what that story's supposed to do. Show Batman's tough guy side. Um. On page 12, I also noticed that the cops were talking. And at the end of that page, that bat, that Batman is one tough old mother, mean and cold mm-hmm. socks. In that middle panel, where you just see the cop, cops back and he says, no, he's not. This sounds weird. I was thinking about this today, how like, you know, Stan Lee loved his exclamation points. Right. And, you know, and so, and of course I love all that stuff, but to me, it's like these quiet, more subtle lines of dialogue that kind of seem to not age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when yeah. I read the 60s comics, Batman or like DC or Marvel, I'm like, oh, you know, some of it's awesome. Some of it's like, oh, you know, that, that was the 60s, mm-hmm. the 80s. And just the way the cop is standing there and he says, no, he's not. Huh? Say what? Like, just, I don't know. I love that little panel. It's like so quiet, but it has such an impact on the story. Definitely. Yeah. And is I don't know, you know, the absence of the exclamation points or the, the high excitement, the high drama, just, just him standing there subtly saying that it's all, it all even as a kid, it, it stood out to me as different. Um, you want to talk about, we, we both mentioned page 14 with that third oh, yeah. story. You want to talk about page 14? Yeah, yeah, and I also loved page 8 as well. When I look at comics, I mean, like I said at the beginning, the Batman movie was right there, the Batman TV show, so there's like a cinematic quality to the way these books just, I don't know, they, they read to me like film, and so I also love that page 8 with those 15 wordless, very, very small panels, and I just think about, like, what the script for that must have looked like. Yeah. Jim Sterlin saying like close up on this close up on this close up on this and then uh, I mean talking about that is the smallest battering in the world at the top yeah. of page nine like <laughs> it's got to be a bat dark yeah. um, but talking about just the sheer talent of an artist because I, I was doing some art this past week I was trying to put together a bulletin board for my wife who's a teacher 
And, you know, trying to capture faces, trying to capture expressions, it can be challenging. But top of page 11, where you've got like this close up again, thinking about the film kind of nature of this stuff, the close up of Batman's face yeah. uh, in that line of dialogue, like you get the emotion, the like, I'm going to make sure this gets taken care of kind of thing. And then you contrast that over on page 15, um, where it's like small panel on the right. For those of you that are playing at home and looking at your issues on Comixology, this one is on Comixology or in print. Uh, I mean, the expression there again with Batman's eyes, totally different, compassionate. This is where uh, this boy who's homeless has his bat up or a piece of wood and he's like trying to fight back against Batman and Batman just has this completely different reaction to, to kind of show again, this exchange of looks between him and the police officer that's on his beat. And uh, he just kind of says, let's talk about this. You know, those nuances of the character, but by far, I mean, I'm sure that I've seen this somewhere in promotion, somewhere on the material, somewhere on a poster, the bottom of page 14. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The classic hero pose as uh, sort of made fun of in Deadpool, but with love, I think. That classic hero pose, the Batman standing there, the cape spread out. And, you know, in the foreground, you've got the two kids that are uh, falling on hard times. And Batman's there, hands on the hips, looking heroic. I mean, this could be a trading card from this time period. Absolutely. I remember, like, putting this on the, the kitchen table and sitting down with like notebook paper and a, you know, beat up number two pencil, like trying to draw this, yep. trying to recreate the drama. And just like, to me, this was Batman. Um, and then on page 15, that top panel, it's a smaller panel, but it's, to me, it's just kind of beautiful. The way that Kate is like uh, flowing around him right there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so unrealistic, you know, to think that somebody performs uh, combat stunts and, and flips and swings and does all these things with a cape that big without getting caught up in caught up in it and dying. But it's just it's I don't know, it's so simply illustrated on the top of page fifteen, but it's so effective. Just him standing there and that cape blowing around him like like a giant set of wings towards the kids. I don't know. It just, uh, I could almost say I like that panel better than the um, that page 14, where, you know, and that panel is much bigger on 14, where he's standing there with the hands on the hips. Um, I just love that panel, the way the cape is, the way he illustrated that cape. That's, uh, that's some classic stuff right there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's easy to see what uh, the thought line might have been for Todd McFarlane on that cover because the cape there, Batman, yeah. I mean, the, wrapping up those kids, the, the kids are on the cover as well, uh, being protected. I think, let me look back real quick. It's the little girl at least. Yeah. Little girl kind of being protected, wrapped up in that cape. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and then again, with more cape stuff on page 17, the way it's illustrated, just kind of draping around him as he's sitting by the fire listening to the kids. Yeah. I love that, too. The capes have personality. 
for sure. And then the art on page 19, the way um, and it took me a second as a kid. Um, and that's when I saw it. He turned his face away from the fire, hoping the shadows would hide it, but I saw it anyhow. And then there's no words to explain it, but there's that tear uh, going down his cheek as he's, you know, feeling emotion for these, these two poor kids. Yeah. And the way that's illustrated, too, the shadows on the hand and the arm, um, just the way the face is, is drawn there. I just love that. Love that art. Great use of the wordless panel. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Almost kind of poetic, you know? This issue almost has like some, um, I don't know, just some poetic feeling behind it, you know? Um, just the way some of these images are portrayed and the way Jim Starlin just kind of pulls back and lets the art tell the story at some points. I just love it. I think it's great. Yeah, well, and thinking back when I was seven, and you mentioned being nine and like this being a bit of a lift, like I know I remember reading the first issue of The Huntress, and I think that was 89. And there was no way I've looked at it since then as like a seven or eight year old that I was really like taking in what was there. Oh, yeah. Um, just because, yeah. again, I mean, uh, Urban's like gritty, grittiness kind of story. Um, but I so appreciated these characters and so appreciated what they represented. Like I went with it and reread them and yeah, just connected big time based on some of those early DC books in the late eighties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the issue itself? Because I actually have a kind of a weird thing to comment on about this comic. Um, but do you have anything else about the issue itself, the art, the story, anything? It makes me want to read more. I kind of did a deep dive. I've looked back at the, you know, the Kelly Jones era, um, the Doug Munch era. We were talking about Doug Munch the last time. We've looked back at issues from that era, and I've looked at like the Graham Nolan Bain issues. Yeah. This makes me want to reach back into kind of that late 80s time frame. Uh, when Jim Sterling was doing the writing. So that, like last time when we were reading Werewolf by Night, I want to read more. I want to read yeah. more now. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll have more Batman to come from different eras as we look at different issues too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so here's what I was going to say is that we haven't talked about this yet, but you know, some new comics have them too, but I don't think it's as widespread as it used to be, but old comics always used to have letter pages. Oh yes. Yeah. I loved the letter pages and I think it probably led to me being able to uh, work on my, I don't know, context skills, or that's not really the right word, but like putting things together um, and almost being like a detective because, you know, I didn't have all the money in the world to go out and buy all these old back issues. And, you know, we both said that comic stores would come in and then they would leave. So we didn't have access to it, but like, you know, a lot of um, these pay or these letters on this page are about the KG Beast. Oh yes, yeah. I forgot to mention that that was a big Jim Sterling line too. The KG yeah. Beast, and you know, apparently it was called Ten Nights of the Beast, and I eventually was able to read it. Um, but for years, that intrigued me, and to just uh, 
it's almost like you got two stories in one when you think about it, because you got all these people's thoughts on this story, and many of them would outline what had happened in the issue. <clears throat> so, of course, we're talking about the day and age before the internet. Right, right. So, yeah. Um, so, I knew about the KG Beast, and like this one letter says, would anyone believe that Batman was finished just because he was left in a locked concrete underground room with a steel door? Uh, the KGB came close to defeating Batman. I figure he'll escape that vault and soon. And so just that was enough to tell me how intense that story was. And I think it's one of the things that maybe some of the modern, very modern readers don't have experience with. And I think it's maybe not, you know, it's something they're missing. It's like the letter pages. Yeah. And being able to look at people's thoughts on past issues and, and being able to connect the dots and oh that's what was meant in this issue because they were now they're talking about the letter pages you know just connecting the dots I, I don't know yeah yeah love for the letter pages and you know i talked about batman the animated series one of the book issues that i i mean i subscribed to this series because it was later on in the 90s um and it was the batman adventures which was the comic book kind of issue of Batman the animated series right the comic book stories and so they ran this contest as part of the letters and so I would definitely read those letters because the contest was if you got your letter chosen as like the best letter that month or whatever they would send you um customized art oh. creative team and I always oh my goodness every month I would send in a letter and I never won. I never won. But they would show the art that, you know, whoever it was had won the year before. And some of those, uh, you you could meet pen pals in the letters, too, yeah. which was kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Um, so you like the chat room of the 90s, <laughs> yeah. early 90s. Yeah, it just took months. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I only wrote in. I know I did once for a Captain America issue. I don't know if I wrote in more than that. I don't think I ever did. But I remember writing in, and you'd have to wait four to six months before the issue would print the letters about that issue, if that makes sense. You write right, in your right. letter, and six months later, you might get a chance to see it. But uh, that would never happen. But it was... Um, I just miss some of the old school type letter pages. Do you remember Wizard, Wizard Magazine? Oh, yeah. That was a huge yeah. wizard. So in one of our very first episodes, I mentioned how I'm kind of like, I'm all about looking for the good in comics. I'm all about, I'm, I'm a fan. I look for the good. There are things to critique, but I, I'm always looking for like the positive. One, the one time I remember getting a letter published I wrote to Wizard, and it, I mentioned Joel Schumacher earlier, you know, the, the guy that gave yeah. Batman uh, yeah. anatomically detailed suits. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've seen the movie Batman and Robin with Arnold as, you know, the... Unfortunately, I did. Yeah. Yes. yeah, so they ran it. They ran my letter about that movie in Wizard, and the title of it was the only positive Batman and Robin letter we received <laughs> because <laughs> I, I went in and I was like, these are the things I liked about it. And yeah, I know it's not perfect, but I was, I was going in trying to play some support there in, in hopes of, I guess, another Batman movie. 
but yeah. That's that's awesome. I did not know that you had a letter printed in Wizard. It was back in the day, like 97 or whenever that movie came out. It's 1997. Do you you have that issue that it was in? I don't. You would think that I would. You would think that I I should see if I can find it somewhere uh, online or something. But yeah, yeah, that was the one time I remember getting a letter published. Do you know who was on the cover? Like what the art was for the cover of the Uh, issue? All I know is after it was printed, I kind of had that moment where I was like, should I have gone in and defended that movie or <laughs> maybe not? Uh, still, I, I, there are so many cringe m- moments in that movie. But as a fan, you know, just to get to experience that, I, I was all about it. It didn't have to be a great movie. Right. It just needed to be a movie. Yeah, I get that. <clears throat> I really do. What's next on our agenda? What are we going to be discussing next time? We are returning to the world of Marvel. We might circle back around to DC. You know, I I enjoy talking about Batman, but we have another book from the past, from my childhood experience. Spectacular. I feel like I should say it like that. Spectacular. Spider-Man number 169. This, This is a great cover. I'm looking at it right now. I won't go too much into it. But looking forward to talking about that particular issue. Yeah, I love the Spectacular Spider-Man series. I know it wasn't like, you know, maybe as major, you know, the major events didn't happen in that one maybe as easily as they did in Amazing. But I still really like that that series and the art and Salvi Cinema and all that. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk some Rocket Racer. It'll happen. Sounds good. All right. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this time. Yep. And if you're out there and you want to make recommendations for us to blather on about, talk about, uh, in terms of comics, we will be talking about comics. You can recommend other things, but we are looking for comics. If you have questions, comments, declarations, on-the-spot poems, slam poetry, any of that kind of stuff about comics, you're welcome to share it. Our email address is thecomicobsessive at gmail.com yes and it's very lonely in that uh email address right now i'm not we don't have any any good fan mail yet so well, that's yeah. not we do we have one from my mom, my mom yeah. yeah which is that's sweet that's she awesome. listens to everyone and she's really looking forward to the moon night episode once i get it loaded up which will be right before this one cool yep All right. well um then to the fans i guess fans fan one fan Uh, hopefully more we want more um i guess we will just say stay obsessive stay obsessive everybody